Now I love a good movie. That standard movie where good triumphs over evil, where the good guy wins and the bad guy loses in a really public manner. But sometimes when I watch a movie like that, I wonder about that bad guy, that, that villain. How did they get to be the villain? Where did they go wrong? You have to be careful asking questions like that because it might lead to a trilogy of Star Wars movies that should never have been made being made. But that's my opinion and I digress. Now, Chris has been walking us through the book of Daniel this fall. And in the, in the book of Daniel, we have the main character of God, but we also have the good guy in Daniel and his friends. And we have the bad guy, the villain, in Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. But we also have a villainous nation, Babylon. Now, the name Babylon became synonymous with villainous or enemy later in the Bible. So this truly is a villainous nation. And as we're reading these fantastic tales in Daniel and rooting for Daniel and his friends and for God to triumph, do you ever wonder, how did Babylon become Babylon? Where did they go wrong? So today we're going to step out of Daniel and we're going to go into Genesis chapter 11 and look at the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, most scholars agree that these people on the plain of Shinar they are Babylon before they became Babylon. So if we want to know how Babylon became Babylon, this seems like a pretty good place to start. And I think it's a good place to look if we want to know how a villain becomes a villain. Now, I had our scripture readers read today from portions of Genesis 1 and 2. And the reason for that is, is because the creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2 are sort of a bookend with this story, the Tower of Babel. They tell a first chapter of human history, if you will, with a narrative arc that starts in the beginning with a formless chaos that God then out of his creative will, he forms and he orders and structures and fills with his goodness. And then through Genesis sort of climaxing here in chapter 11, mankind deforms God's creation and his intent for it. So these bookends are sort of a parallel to this narrative arc where on one side you have God as creator, on the other side you have man trying to be the creator. But I am getting ahead of myself, so let's read the passage together. This is Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, as I said, this is a bookend with the story of creation. And what I'd like to do is 
look together at the words that are spoken in these two stories, the words spoken by God in the creation story, and then the words spoken by the man in the Tower of Babel story. And I think we're going to see some parallels, even some opposing forces, because there's a theology in the creation story that's very helpful for what we're talking about today. It's very helpful for life too. But what it does is it tells us who God is. It tells us who we are and why he made us. So let's begin by looking at God's words in the creation story. He's taking the chaos and he's ordering it with his words and his actions. And then he says this on day six. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Big concept. If you're so inclined, you can spend your whole life studying this and trying to understand it, and you won't quite reach the end. There, the, to be made in the image of God is beyond our understanding. But for today, let's narrow it down to this idea. Man has been given an identity. He is God's image bearer. He is God's representative on earth. Later, we see God actually breathe his life into the man's nostrils. And then he creates the woman and he names her. These are incredibly intimate acts and words by the creator God. Speaking to a quality of a relational quality between God and man. So what this tells us is man is given an identity to be the image of God. Then God uses these words, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So man is given, man is given an identity by God, and then he's given a job, a purpose. And that job is to take that identity and share it, spread it around, scatter it like seed so that it will grow. Now, the most basic interpretation of these words would be to make babies. But even the animals can do that, and they have not been called the image of God. So there's a higher calling here on the man as God's image bearer to make more of God's image on earth, to create with him more goodness, more justice, more peace, more beauty. So the man is given an identity. The man is given a purpose. And then we hear the Lord say these words. He's put the man and the woman in the garden. He says to them, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now here we can, we can narrow this down on the concept of trust. The man is called to trust in God. Trust that God will be enough for them. That he will provide for them. And he will keep them safe. If there's an image uh, that we can bear in mind as we think about this trust, it would be maybe open hands receiving God's provision. Now, unfortunately, after Genesis 1 and 2, we come to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve take the forbidden fruit and eat it. Those open hands of trust are now clutching and grasping and trying to take for themselves what only God can give them. They have stopped trusting God. Now, this scene in Genesis chapter 3, it's sort of the beginning of a downward spiral of mankind. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the flood, Noah and his sons, and weird things happening in a tent 
And sometimes when we read these stories, or there's many in the Old Testament, it can feel like a dark litany of mankind's failures and then God's judgment and anger. But I think if we keep the theology of creation in mind, what we should be seeing is God's grace. Because God always comes down in his mercy to spare the man, to save the man from himself. He redirects them with his judgment. And then he always offers them a glimmer of hope that he's not done with them yet, that he is going to continue to provide for them and spread his goodness. So as I said before, this sort of climaxes here on the plains of Shinar with the Tower of Babel. The passage starts with this, these words, the people moved eastward. Now in Hebrew literature, when we hear of people moving eastward, it's a sure sign that they are stepping away from God. So they move eastward and find a plain in Shinar and settle there. And now these are the words that the man says to each other. They say, come, let us. Now we've heard that before. Something similar was said in the creation story. That's a signpost to us as readers that these stories are connected. That in the beginning, God was the creator. And now in this story, man is trying to be the creator. They say, come, let us bake bricks, make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, when we hear the phrase, so that we may make a name for ourselves, we can know that these people have forgotten who they are. They don't need to make a name for themselves. They have a name. They're God's image bearer. They have forgotten their identity. They say, come, let's make bricks and bake them. Let's build a city. Here we have man being creative, trying something new, wanting to build. And that is innate. God made man to be that way. He wanted man to be his co-creator in his continuing creation. But here we see mankind taking that creative impulse and God isn't in it. We know that because they've forgotten who they are. They're empty of God. And so their creative acts are empty of his goodness and his justice and his peace and his perfection. Now, Chris referenced this a few weeks ago when he mentioned the Tower of Babel as we're walking through Daniel, how this is a feat of human ingenuity and unity, and it's built on the backs of slaves. So when man tries to be creative without God, what we find is that man destroys himself and others. They've forgotten what they were supposed to do. And then they say this line, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now this Tower of Babel story is often used as an example of the epitome of man's pride and rebellion. And those are there. Pride and rebellion are definitely a part of this story. But I see something else. I see fear. They say otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They're scared. Picture with me, if you will. These people have gone eastward, so that means they're leaving leaving God's plan. They've taken their eyes off the heavens and forgotten who they are. And they're looking around on the plain of Shinar. And over there, they see a tower, a ziggurat, built by those people. And over there, they see another one built by those people. And suddenly, they feel like they don't measure up. And they're scared. 
So they've forgotten who they can trust. Now, much like the other stories in Genesis, the Lord comes down in his mercy and he spares them from themselves. He stops their destructive path. He redirects them with his judgment. And in his grace, he scatters them. That was what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be scattered, to fill the earth, to multiply, spread God's goodness. But when they forgot who they were, their purpose became scary. And then the Lord offers a glimmer of hope in the next passage where we meet Abraham. And through this family, we see God is not done yet. He is not giving up. He is going to bless the nations and spread his goodness. So how did Babylon become Babylon? I think it's right here. They forgot who they were, why they were made, and whom they could trust. So that's interesting to look at in light of our our reading through Daniel and say, oh, interesting how Babylon became Babylon. They must have done this over and over again to become this giant oppressive nation, I would think. I think it's also good for us to look at this story and ask ourselves, when Am I villainous? I don't have to be an oppressive nation in and of myself to be the villain. I can be a villain in small moments where I try to take something that's not mine and I hurt somebody in the process. Or I hurt myself. I can be the villain by being silent and complicit as I take comfort in and rest in institutions that are not just, that are racist. This is the fight of our lives, to not be the villain, to be who God made us to be and do what he made us to do and trust him in the process. How do we win that fight? Well, we have to remember who we are. If I forget who I am, I will make a Tower of Babel to make a name for myself. I have done this, but I don't need a name. I have a name. We talked about this at cohort a couple weeks ago, the younger cohort, C2. We were talking about Daniel being taken captive by Babylon. And here's these, he's this young Hebrew boy who wants to serve Yahweh. And in Babylon, he's given a new name. And this would be very offensive to him because that new name would pledge allegiance to the Babylonian gods. But in the story, we don't see Daniel protest this. And I think that's because Daniel knows who he is. He knows that he has a name. We have a name. We have many names. Beloved, chosen, child of God, friend of Jesus, God's work of art. We have to remember who we are. We have to remember why we were made. To take that name and share it. Share it with people who've never heard themselves called that before. Share it with people who have forgotten that that's their name. In my creativity, if I don't put God on the throne, I will make things that are destructive to myself or others. I think you can crack any history book open and really see that that's true. When God isn't on the throne, the things that we make, they either fail They fall, 
they let people down, or they do destroy. We can destroy people and not even know we're doing it. We can destroy people on another continent by what we build here on ours. We can destroy the environment by what we build and create. This earth that God has given us to take care of. So we need to ask ourselves and our creativity and our energy and our talents and our time, are we spreading God's goodness, justice, peace, hope, beauty? We have to remember why we were made. And we have to remember who we can trust. Now there's a theology, as I mentioned, to the creation story that tells us God made the world for us. He didn't make it to meet his needs. He has no needs. He didn't make us to serve his needs. He made the world to be a place where his creation can thrive and prosper, be fulfilled, flourish. But we forget that very easily. We forget that God is for us. Like I said, this is the fight of our lives to remember who we are, why we were made, and who we can trust. How do we do that? We go to the word. The words spoken to us by God in the beginning, telling us who we are. We go to the word as it is written out in this book. We go to the word in the person of Jesus walking the earth, showing us the way. And we tell each other, these words, as well as the words of our own stories, because God's not done yet. He is still revealing himself to us in your life, in my life, in the lives of his people. We have to tell each other our stories. Now, if my words to you today felt a little bit like a doom and gloom about you being a villain or me being a villain, that's not my intent. Because here's the glimmer of hope that God always gives us. I love the book of Daniel because Daniel is the good guy, but God mostly is working in Babylon, in the people of Babylon and changing their hearts. They're the villain, but God is pursuing them. He's the God of everybody and he loves everybody and wants them all to come to him. So yes, I have the potential to be villainous. But even when I have, and when I will again, I can know and trust that God is not done with me yet. He can still use me, he will redirect me, and he will give me his grace and his hope so that I may go out and be who I'm meant to be, do what I'm meant to do, and trust God in the process.